0: Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast with Scott Neal, a podcast about how to lead, grow, and succeed even with imperfections and challenges.
1: Our goal? To help leaders expand their capacity and reach their full potential, whether leading a church, growing a business, or building a family. Remember, nothing succeeds like imperfection. Now, here's your host, Scott Neal.
0: Hey, I want to welcome. Um great friend of mine, Hans Hess. Hans is the pastor of Fountain of Life Church here in Elizabeth City. Hans is a great leader, uh, doing a super job there at Fountain of Life. It's a growing church, reaching a lot of people in our city. So it's an honor to have you here, Hans. Welcome.
1: Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah. Thanks for
0: saying yes and coming and being a part of the Imperfect Leader podcast. I want us to jump right into this uh, because I've got a lot of questions for you, a lot of things I want to learn from you and, and grow. Uh, I know this is a really busy season for you. Uh, Not only are you leading a growing church, preaching, teaching, leading a staff, but I learned recently you just got back from Israel. Yep, exactly. tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, this was my uh, fifth time going to Israel and uh, started in 1991 when I met a guy named Elias Malki. And Elias Malki uh, was an Arab Christian and actually became the first Arabic Christian preacher to ever preach the gospel on television Hmm. because he had uh, came to America years ago to go to Bible college, went back to Lebanon, spent 20 years as a missionary, was uh, basically ran out of Lebanon because of war. So he went to the island of Cyprus and began broadcasting radio broadcasts of the gospel into the Middle East, which led into him and Pat Robertson launching the uh, Middle Eastern gospel uh, television network. And so he kind of did like a 700 club scenario, but completely in Arabic. Wow. And uh, so I got to know this guy when I graduated college in 1991. Yeah. And went to Israel with him for the first time, and it became a, uh, a long-term relationship. He was a real mentor to me. Came back into my life uh, when I was planning a church, and then I had him here in Elizabeth City. And uh, so we would go minister to pastors from the Arab world. On the island of Cyprus, ministered to pastors in the West Bank, and uh, and he would include a tour of Israel with it. So yeah. well, anyhow, he passed away last year, hmm. and so uh, my wife and I thought, hey, we're going to pick up this mantle and we're going to we're going to lead a trip and, and you know take whoever wants to go with us and uh, see what happens. Well, it turned out to be the greatest one ever. Wow! And uh, we led fifty nine people through ten days in Israel, and it was just it was just wonderful.
0: That's great. I've never had an opportunity to go to Israel. I've always wanted to go. So what are some of the things that you just look forward to every time you go? You've got to go see this. You, you have to go by. What, what are a few things?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, you know, when you're seated somewhere or you're standing somewhere reading a scripture where the scripture actually took place, I mean, there's nothing that yeah. replaces that.
0: I had someone explain to me, it's almost like um, reading the Bible in black and white. And then you go to Israel, and it's like color. Absolutely. It just comes to life. Absolutely. I'm sure that helps a lot in your speaking, teaching.
1: Yeah, it does. I, it, several places, numerous places that happened. Uh, one, for example, in the desert uh, near the Dead Sea, there's a place called En Gedi. It's yeah. a national park in Israel, but you're in this barren wilderness, and then you hike up a mountain, and you find these springs up there. Hmm and then you read in the scripture where David was at Engedi hiding from Saul and you know some of the psalms he wrote there supposedly and it's just like oh man this this thing wow. comes to life yeah, yeah. but it does now you go each year or no 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 i've it, been 5 times okay over a period yeah. of how long uh, the, over the past well really over the past 30 years I okay think. yeah but yeah. but within the last Ten, we've been about four times. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a trip
0: planned anytime soon again? In case someone wants to go, or?
1: tentatively we want to we'll do one in spring of 2019. Okay. Yeah.
0: And would they contact your church, or is there yeah. an organization, or how would that be if, if somebody wants ju- to go?
1: At this point now, they could just contact our church. Yeah. Yeah. What is the website? Uh, F-O-L-church.com. Great. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Hey, I may
0: be on one of those trips. Yeah. Man. I've always wanted to go to we Israel. We took so several ministers great. with us yeah.
1: and it was fantastic. That's
0: awesome. Well, let's jump into, uh, what you're doing at fountain of life. Okay. I'm always interested in learning and growing from other pastors. Uh, you've been at Fountain of Life now for eight years. Yes. And it is a much different church. Now, I'm obviously not on staff or know the intricacies of your church, but just from watching on the outside, it sure. seems to be a much different church than it was even eight years ago. Right. Um, what were some of the hurdles you faced when you first got there and took a look at it and said, okay, we need to grow, we need to reach people. So, what were some of the things you saw, some obstacles in your path?
1: Uh, I think in uh, a little bit of backfill here sure. to understand where we were coming from, my wife and I had traveled as evangelists when we first got into ministry, worked with a full-time evangelist, worked in an evangelistic organization out of Tennessee. So that evangelistic DNA was mm. in our blood. Then uh, I pastored a an established church for five years in Chesapeake, Virginia, and it had great growth and great things happened. But then... Then we moved to Washington, D.C., and I spent nine years planting a church in the uh, suburbs of Washington, D.C., Loudoun okay. County, Virginia, the wealthiest county in the United States, fastest growing county at that time, and uh, completely cosmopolitan, multi-ethnic environment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, super- so a lot like Elizabeth said. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Super challenging. So uh, when we came to Elizabeth City, it was because I knew the pastor of the church at Fountain of Life, a guy named Bill Mayo, who was a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, I'd worked with him on some committees in our denomination and stuff and had even preached for him through the years. So um, he came down with cancer, was struggling with that, and we had this long-term relationship. So he asked if I would come down and at least consider talking to them, about becoming the pastor. And so we were actually in the process of leaving DC. We knew that was coming to an end. So, so uh, saying all that to say this, that missional DNA, that evangelist, that missions DNA was all in us. And, uh, I really didn't want to go to an established church because hmm. I thought, Lord, I even told the Lord, I'll never do that again. Yeah. Well, I ate those <laughs> words, but so, so when we came into fountain of life, um, I was all about evangelism, all about missions. How can we take this church that's almost 100 years old and turn it into an attractional, Mm. missional church again? And it was a wonderful, wonderful church. Very well organized, incredible people. But how can we motivate them to get about, you know, bringing their loved ones in? And when I first went there, Scott, it's interesting. Uh, I first went there, I looked out over the congregation and I saw all the gray hair. Right. And I thought, OK, Lord, I prayed and I said, God, just give me their kids. Yeah. Just give me their kids and, and grandkids and I'll be happy. And it started happening. Yeah, that's awesome. So really, the hurdle was just uh, turning a
0: church that had been established for a long time, getting some freshness back into it again and uh, starting to reach a younger generation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That was it. Yeah. Now you've been able to do that successfully. So my my question is, or at least, you mm-hmm. know, it's relative, I'm sure. Yeah. But my question is, did you see the changes that you're currently making? Did you see them at the beginning? Did you go, okay, we need to do this, we need to do this, and this? Or did you kind of stumble through and... Make the changes as you approach different obstacles, or how to tell us a little bit about that process of what a pastor does.
1: Yeah, I absolutely didn't see it. Okay. I, I knew in theory what we wanted. We wanted to be missional. We wanted to be evangelistic. We wanted to be dis- a discipling church. We wanted to be winning a new generation. I knew all that. Said all that, but how we how we would do that, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and I really stumbled through. In fact, I was kind of burnt out coming from a church plant mm. for nine years, which I closed the doors of. We closed the doors. And uh, it was like a death happened. Mm. And we were like, uh, I'm now done. How long of man. a
0: time was it when you closed and when you came to Found of Life?
1: In, we, pretty much immediately. Okay. Because in the last six months to a year of our church, we were in the process of... Uh, Trying to figure out, okay, are we going to, is this thing going to survive meeting with my core team? And finally we just said, Hey, they, they told me, pastor, just go, man. You need mm-hmm. to, for your family, for your health, you just need to go. So it was, it happened kind of simultaneously. Yeah. So, uh, Anyhow, coming down here, I did not. Uh, I had had no plans like that. I didn't know. So I was kind of fried. So I just said, you know what? We're going to love people, and I'm not going to fight with people. That right. That's my, my two goals right there. Right. Love people, not fight with people. But anyway. I want to. I want to talk a little bit about
0: the the burnout there, because I have friends and um, I've been at that place where I just yeah you know was dry. What um. How did you? How did you know you were at a place where you just think, okay, I got to do something, that you were even considering closing this that you had worked for for nine years. I mean, you obviously, oh, yeah. were at a emotional, physical, spiritual, just a place of just being tired and exhausted. But
1: what were some of the symptoms, or how did you know? I, um, that's a good question. I think uh, for me, the struggle was. Uh, and I think a lot of pastors are like this. We have an ideal in our mind, and, and th- of what we want to build and what we want to do and how we want to grow this thing. And then when the reality doesn't meet that ideal, it's like uh, there's a there's a crushing, there's a there's a depression or there's a there's a disappointment that you reach. So. Uh, I think that's the issue you know sometimes we we have these vision statements and you know especially younger pastor i was yeah. 30 years old or think okay. when i planted and i'm like man i want to i want to conquer the world yeah. and when that didn't happen you know you face reality it's like oh snap yep, you know what yep. do i do so uh well there, there's some 30 year olds out listening
0: mm-hmm. to this podcast and they may be feeling some of that pressure right if you could um speak to your 30-year-old self there. Yeah. What what would you kind of let them know about planning a church and these idealistic dreams and that it's a little it's much harder than what you read in a book or go to a conference come back and think okay we can take on the world.
1: Yeah. What's something you might a piece of advice or wisdom you give? First thing I would say to church planters is know that uh, God's going to work on you and your heart. Mm. And he's going to rework your your inner self, because the church is not just about uh, I'm going to reach the world. God is also interested in you, and He's going to work on your heart. Yeah, and so you know, don't be surprised when that happens. It's good, and, and He starts breaking down stuff in you and uh, making you the leader He wants you to be. Yeah, and uh, and and then get help, man. Get really good help around you that can that can bring reality, a reality check to you. This is where you should be the disappointments you're seeing are common, you know, everybody faces these. This is how you get through them.
0: Yeah. I've heard it said before that God is more interested in what he does in you than through you. Wow. And that's yeah. uh, that's a hard thing to sometimes to, to keep in mind, though, because we live in such a success-driven yeah. world, and that's true in church and ministry as well. We get pressure, not just from You know, business leaders get pressure, but pastors are pressured to keep growing and go to the next level and all these different things. And you can just feel drained.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So when I first came to Elizabeth City, it's interesting. um, There there was a part of me that didn't want to be here because Mm -hmm. here I was a church planner. I've been living in D.C. I've been teaching at some universities there. I've been doing, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. And then I'm like, okay, Lord, I came from the country. Yeah. And uh, here I'm going to go to a smaller town and the people are so incredibly nice. and yeah. so wonderful. Um, uh, okay. So anyhow, I came here and the church started growing. Mm. I'd tried for nine years to get a church plant to grow. And I mean, we did everything we knew how possibly, but I uh, came here and just naturally people started inviting their friends or inviting their family. And we started seeing people come to the church And then the general superintendent of our denomination called me one day and uh, he said, Hans, I heard you're at Elizabeth City Church and it's a wonderful place and I just think you fit great there and I'm so excited you're there. And I responded and I said, yeah, it's interesting because I I didn't necessarily want to come here at first, but uh, it's amazing what has happened since we came here because I had this vision in D.C. We're going to do this and now it's like I left all of that. And he said... You know, Hans, isn't it interesting what God will do through you when you get your ego out of the way? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh man, yeah. Sometimes I think a lot of our vision stuff is ego driven, yeah. and it's um, you know, so so anyhow, coming here it kind of cleanse that, so yeah. to speak. So it's like God, if you want to use me, I, I just am who I am. I have yeah. a few things to offer, and if you want to use those, you can have it. So you really, you really
0: can't say that there was any um, magic formula you used when you came to elizabeth city or a secret sauce that you had and applied it here you pretty much did the same thing here as you did there it just worked here and it didn't there or what
1: exactly i've had and this has been an encouragement to many of my pastor friends because i I said man i've preached a lot of the same stuff done a lot of the same things sang a lot of the same songs you know obviously now we've grown a lot and shifted a lot over the past years since we've been growing. But yeah, yeah, I'm the same guy doing the same things. The season change, the context change. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well,
0: you obviously have a heart for planning churches. You have a heart for young pastors. You've been at the place of burnout. You've been, um, now when you started the church in D.C., yep. you, you started it from scratch? From scratch. scratch. Okay. So you have obvious experience in that. Yeah. So let's imagine that you you, you had a room filled You know with 40 50 aspiring pastors these guys are uh, and girls you know they're 20 25 they're excited they're passionate they want to plant churches and uh called you up and said okay hans you've got a few minutes with these guys and these girls um what what do you want to make sure you get across to these guys
1: wow great question um you know, there's, okay, there's so many things you could say, get the right education, get the yep. right coaching, get the right support system around you and all that, but there's something I think that transcends all of that, and that is have a passion for what you're doing. Years ago, I went to a uh, church growth seminar when I was a very young pastor, and there was a guy named Tom Rayner there. Yeah. I never heard of Tom Rainer. This I'm talking 20 years ago, wow. and uh, I forgot even the subject of this church growth seminar but there was another guy with tom named glenn wagner and glenn wagner had been a uh, popular speaker on the promise keeper circuit back in the day and was pastoring a large church in charlotte north carolina and he was introduced like this here's glenn wagner change agent Hmm. and glenn wagner has never pastored a church under 100 years old and he's turned every one of them around so okay so glenn wagner gets up to the podium and he says man I've been introduced as a change agent so many times. So I actually went and researched what is a change agent and looked at the characteristics of a change agent. And he said, I realized I didn't have one of them. Mm. I didn't possess one of these, but he says I did possess something that was greater than all those. And that is passion. Mm. I had a passion for what I was doing and it kept me in the game and it forced me to learn and forced me to grow. So, you know, um, if you have a passion for the Lord and passion for the calling that's on your life, uh, keep, that is it. That's the, that's the sauce, man. That's the secret sauce that keeps you going through the difficulties and through the ups and downs.
0: Yeah. And remaining teachable. You obviously was, you you just, when you sit there and tell me about this guy you met and this conference you went to and you read this, you obviously were a person and and are still a person who's, Gleaning and you know and and learning and reading and listening to podcasts or whatever you can do just to remain teachable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, having a teachable spirit is the key. Yeah. Wouldn't you say that we
0: probably live in a day and age that um, change happens faster than probably ever has in church? Oh, absolutely. And things, society, and culture, and all those different things.
1: Absolutely. I was talking with some guys recently. We were talking about how church has changed. You know, obviously in the past decade, but I'm telling you in the past. Five years, three years, church has shifted. And even us in a smaller city like this, we see the same shifts and the same cultural trends. And so uh, if you're not, if you're stuck, you know, back 30 years ago, 20, Mm. 10 years ago, you know, you're not going to be effective. So you have to remain teachable. We were talking before the podcast uh, just a little bit about
0: how some um, pastors seem content maybe with, you know, the amount of people they have, um, their current structure. Um, how would you motivate some of those guys or, or, you know, do you, do you, do you, you have an opportunity to coach some, some people, some younger pastors, I assume
1: that is beginning. Okay, good. We matter of fact, in a, I think, a couple of weeks from now, we have a young pastor coming up from South Carolina who just wants some excellent help. I have another pastor coming from uh, South Carolina as well, just wants to spend a weekend with us. We're starting to see this kind Good. of thing more and more. And I've been used in missions a lot, going okay. overseas and speaking to mission leaders of nations. And it's interesting because uh, I'm always looking for what growth trends or, or what principles work transculturally, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Not just American Church, right but what works globally, so uh, and and they're facing a so I went to this big missions conference in Turkey two years ago and spoke to global leaders, and I was like okay i got I gotta be a, the the missions guy, and I have to be all this and and then when it time came for question and answer, it was interesting. These pastors were asking me, "Hey, how do you organize small groups? Hmm. Hey, how do you follow up visitors?" I was like Wait, wait, wait. These are American questions, but they were facing the same exact things, you know? So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So learning some of those uh, principles of church growth and reaching people that apply no matter where you are around the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Getting those across. Great. Well, what is, what is a, here's here's a question. What is your current, what is your most pressing leadership issue? Where are you finding yourself reading? pushing yourself, asking questions, learning from others, what's kind of on the horizon or right, right around you?
1: Well, we feel right now at our church that our staff is uh, completely in a reinventing, uh, a reinventing period right now. We're trying to figure out what is the next step, okay, because we had some success in reaching people, but then it was like, okay, we came to the end of that, hmm. and it's like, okay, Lord, how now do I reach the next generation? And this yeah. is the real question yeah. that's uh, on the table for us. So over the past couple years, we've been trying to figure that out, and uh, you know, not everyone likes some of the answers because yeah. uh, it causes causes us to change. You know, so I'm constantly trying to talk to millennials. And say, hey, I, hey, what reaches you? What speaks to you? And, and you know, millennials have really shifted the game in, yep. in church culture, as they have in business and everything else in, a, in the world. So how do we, you know, what speaks to them? Where, what are their needs? How can we reach them? And... Uh, and church has shifted. It's not just, you know, we were talking before the podcast about just, let's just do three or four mediocre things a yeah. week. Yeah. No, now, man, it's, it's amped up to where we're, we're trying to run on all cylinders on Sunday morning and then to come back and reproduce that two or three times a week. It just isn't happening. So, and millennials, that isn't even speaking to them. That's right. So what, how do we speak to them and how do we reach them? That's probably the most pressing thing. And trying to find that vision piece in that uh, is is where we're at. We even got involved with a coaching group uh, this year, uh, which we've done in the past. We did it again this year uh, just to try to help us get to the next level and revision and drill down into that vision and make sure it's fresh and everything. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, it's a a constant question that – that I know we struggle with here and pastors and I'm interacting with or struggling with, how do you continue to reach the next generation? Because what worked for this generation doesn't necessarily work for the next. And a lot of times we stay the same and the generation changes and then we become the traditional church of our kids. You know, it's one of the things we talked about here at Forest Park when we first came and we began to make some changes in the church, uh, you know, and back when I was a kid and I'm sure it was the same with you, jeans and t-shirts um, that was pretty radical. I mean, if you wore jeans mm-hmm. and T-shirts to church, coffee in the lobby, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, we're like, wow, you know, this church is progressive. Uh, they have drums, they have lights, or something like that. But my kids grew up with that, so it's no big deal. And they see that every every week. Um, they don't see that as progressive. They don't see that as something that's cool. Uh, so we can become the traditional church to the next generation. And we have to remain open all the time of what's fresh, what's new, what's on the horizon, what, what are the millennial generation, the next generation beyond them, the Z generation. Yep. Uh, what are they thinking, processing? That's a challenge.
1: It is. And, and now I'm becoming... Uh Uh, more and more an admirer of guys who've reached their 60s or 70s and they're still ministering to them to the numerous generations below them i'm like oh man i don't want to i think my greatest fear is getting stuck in my generation yeah and it's easy to do yeah
0: yeah in fact i you may have read this book i'm not sure but it's called meet generation z uh excellent book written by james white from charlotte and uh wow i was reading through the book and the Difference in 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 Generation Z versus my generation yeah. is it, it seems almost infinite. The yeah. amount of uh, one of the things that really alarmed me in 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 his writing and research is the ignorance of Scripture in Generation Z. Um, he said you could do an entire series on some of the stories we grew up on. right? David and Goliath, Moses, Daniel in the lion's den, yeah. you know, uh, Moses in the Red Sea, these things that we grew up with, I grew up with, with flannel boards and right. children's church and all this. And we have a, a, a solid knowledge of those stories. Generation Z, have, many of them have never even heard those stories. So when you refer to Daniel and the lion's den, they're like, what are you talking about? David and Goliath, they've only seen it on a movie. They're ignorant when it comes to these stories. And to reach the generation that's coming up, we're gonna have to go back into some very simplistic teaching and preaching. And but to them, it'll be revolutionary. They've yeah. never heard those stories. Wow. It's an excellent book. If anyone listening wants to pick it up, I highly recommend it it's called Meet Generation Z. And it's a great book to read and it will really help you to kind of process what's going on with the newest generations.
1: Yeah, and I think watching, and I, I try to constantly challenge myself as a preacher too, to watch my language because I've mm. been, yeah. you know, I'm, a, I'm, a ma- I'm from the Appalachia Mountains of yeah. Virginia and I got this mountain slang and then right. come up in Pentecostal environment, you know, and uh, love all of that. Sure. But nonetheless, I'm thinking, okay, does this make, is, is what I'm saying making sense? to the 17 year old sitting on on my chairs or the or even the 25 year old is it making sense and uh that's that's constantly a challenge that's a tough
0: one and i know um here we went through a time where i was doing very similar and still do i work through my message and i'll think okay does this make sense to that 25 year old like you said What happens sometimes is when I bring the message down, and I hate to use the word down, I don't mean to imply that I'm dumbing it down, but try to bring it down into language that an eighth grader or a ninth grader can wrap his or her mind around. Often the complaint that we'll hear from the older ones is it's it's watered down, or it's not deep enough, or you're not feeding me. But often what people refer to as deep is just confusing. And they'll walk out and, wow, that was deep. And you say, well, what was actually communicated? I'm not really sure, but it was deep. Right. And, you know, it, it just didn't, it sounds deep. And when you begin to to simplify it and communicate it in a way that millennial generation or the Z generation can grab and understand the older generation needs to appreciate that and see yeah. what you're doing to communicate to them and give some leadway and give some some uh, some room for you to be yeah. able to to work your message in a, such
1: a way to reach the 15-year-old, the 20-year-old, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And I think two things that I'm, I'm noticing, I don't know if you see this, but uh, with the younger generation, um, bringing some intellectual credibility yeah. to the gospel is huge. Yeah. We had a campus minister with us from North Carolina State recently, and he mentioned how um, 60% of that campus in his research, had never heard the gospel. Mm. And he said, NC State's kind of a common campus yeah. with a lot of country kind of folks there, and, you know, they're studying agriculture. and everything. But even in that environment, you had like 60% that had never heard the gospel. And um, so a couple things they're looking for, number one is intellectual credibility to the gospel, yeah. that you know what you're talking about. But number two, they're not really afraid of the spirituality of it either. Yep. Because we're living in an age that's just they're so spiritual, everything's supernatural at the movies or, you know, the popular novels. So uh, I think as a church, we have the answer there, you know. That's right, you so these are, these are my both. challenges. These are my every day I think about these yep. things. How can I, you know, uh, bring the experience I've had that radically changed my life as a teenager? And uh, my encounter with God, and how can I bring that to the next generation, but bring it with a, a lot of credibility and a lot of word and a lot of understanding?
0: That's good. That's good. Well, I love to talk to a pastor who's wrestling through those, because unfortunately, many don't, and um, I fear for the church twenty years from today when many of the people that you know a variety of churches are impacting or reaching. Um, who are older begin to pass away. And yeah. many of those churches do not have the younger generation to sustain the church mm-hmm. and to keep it moving forward. Yeah. So it's a, it's a passion that uh, we both share and, and we pray that you're able to figure that out. And we are too. Cause it's a, it, and, and next year we'll have new questions yeah. <laughs> because it keeps changing so quickly. That's great. Well, let me ask you a few personal questions. Um, okay. I always love to get to know uh, people at a, at a more personal level. If, uh, and some of this you've already answered, but we'll we'll jump back into it. Um, if you could roll back time and go back to where when you were before you started in ministry. How, how were you when you were married, may I ask? Oh, that's a good question. Uh-oh. man. I was tw-
1: uh, I was 23,
0: 23. OK, yeah. so let's let's go back to prior to your marriage, around okay. 21, just beginning to be a man and coming mm-hmm. into your manhood. And you could talk to Hans at 21 and you could say, Hans, I want you to listen. Here are some things you need to know. Here are some things that you need to know about marriage. You need to know about church, kids, whatever. What are a few things that you would speak? Because I know we have some who are in their 20s and could learn so much from you and what you've experienced, the heartbreak, even of the church that didn't happen the way that you thought it was going to, uh, coming to Elizabeth city and not, uh, knowing, is this where I'm going to stay? Am I only going to be here a couple of years? Um, marriage and the things you've learned from that kids, I know you're, uh, you you have, have older, how old are your your daughters?
1: I have two daughters,
0: 20 and 21. Okay. So they're at that age right now. So what what would you say to that 21-year-old? What would you say to them?
1: Wow, that's a challenging question. Um, to Hans, yeah. because Hans wrestled with a lot of insecurities. Okay. I mean, huge insecurities. Um, I was a really shy kid, Um Wouldn't speak really on a Myers Briggs test. I I really come in as an introvert. So uh, on a day off, I'm holed up to myself in the house reading or something. That's just, you know, that's who I am. So I think I would say have confidence in who you are now. Hmm. Have confidence in who you are now because I, I, I look back at my life and I realize I had some gifts, you know. As I always tell my church, I've got a couple things I can offer. I don't have the rest of it, but a couple things I can bring to the table. And uh, I had those back at 21 to some extent. And just have confidence in that and walk out and pursue that. Because I always had this trepidation, Am I going to be good enough? Uh, people, people won't, what will people think of me? Mm-hmm. And this fear of the, you know, the, the ideas of others, the words of others. Just get over that, man, and just have confidence in who you are would be one huge thing. And, and pursue what's in your heart, you know, which I did. I, uh, you know, my family kind of uh, had kind of trained me to go one way in life, and then I got radically saved at the age of 16. And it turned, the, I was the first one in my family to become a Christian. Where, where did that happen? Was it a church or a camp or what happened at 16? I What happened to me at 16 was I was a high schooler playing in rock and roll bands. kind of got a little bit into the party scene and doing all that stuff in the 80s. And I got sick and I was put in the hospital for a week. While I'm in the hospital, literally, Scott, I'm telling you, I heard a voice speak to me, not audibly or mm-hmm. anything, but just an internal witness spoke yep. to me and... Uh, After that, I started praying and started reading my Bible at home. My parents had a Bible. I went and got it off the nightstand and started reading it at home and just didn't, no one witnessed to me, never watched a preacher on TV, you know, that converted me or never, you know, listened to a, a gospel, really music besides what my mom maybe played a little bit. That was it, man. It was just like. It was a supernatural thing. And then I started going to church in my hometown. Uh, we, actually, the pastor was my cousin. Well, you know, I wasn't very close to him. We knew he pastored, thought he was kind of strange, but here's yeah. this. <laughs> so yeah. I went and visited him and got in his church. And so that happened. And, uh, you know, so I was the first guy in my family. So it, it was like I stepped out and started in another trajectory in life. I went to university and uh, and by the end of my time at university'm I'm, I'm really feeling I'm called to preach wow and with the encouragement of my pastor and stuff get into this ministry and then you know so that so my whole life shifted and changed and uh, uh, yeah I think just some encouragement do what's in your heart do that's all, all that's in your heart Hans
0: let me ask you this um, just thought of this when you're speaking and you're speaking to the younger generation do you have a passion to want those? those students, those kids, to experience what you experience. You yeah. just have that, I can imagine.
1: Absolutely. It's it's what's pushed me this whole time. You know, St. Augustine yeah. was probably 30 by the time he was uh, became a Christian. And then after that, there's this Latin phrase that I I think is attributed to him. Later, it's attributed to St. Anselm, but it's a credo uh, ut intelligam. I believe in order that I may understand mm-hmm. And so, obviously, Augustine was a very intellectual guy, but a radical conversion shifted the whole trajectory of his life, and then he spent the rest of his life learning and growing and trying to figure that out, so to speak, you know, and that's... uh, kind of my story Uh, i had this radical conversion at 16 and now i've spent the rest of my life still in school (laughs) still learning still trying to figure that out and yeah when i get in front of younger people it's all about that man it's all about you know i want you to experience this what i experienced
0: yeah that's amazing god just reached down grabbed you flipped you around yeah you're still living it out today yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah.
1: And still trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned about your day off. Tell me a little bit about what your
1: best day off would look like. Oh, man. You, You're
0: free. You can do anything you want.
1: What would you do? I'm going to sound really weird to okay. you out right here, but it's locked in the house. Yeah. With, okay. some, with, a, with a book and a yeah. cup of coffee and maybe a cool sci-fi movie, too. <laughs> okay. That's okay. It. I got to ask
0: some questions then. <laughs> what, um,
1: what's a favorite book? Oh gosh!
0: I know that's a lot, and it depends on the genre. It depends on the you know the kind. But what? Give me a book or two that you just love. Oh, you man. find yourself recommending them to others. Hey, you have got to read this. This yeah, I've
1: had uh, someone asked me this recently. A pastor wanted a recommendation of books. And it was like the most difficult question yeah. I could ever receive. Almost like well, who's your favorite kid? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, something happened to me. I, I went to the University of Kentucky. uh, and de- graduated with a degree in ancient history. Okay. And I, okay, so I graduated, like what am I gonna do with a degree yep. in ancient history? Then I end up going to seminary, and uh, one of the first courses I had in seminary, one of the professors said, okay, here's a list of Roman emperors, you need to memorize them, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, yes, man, I know what right. this is all about. So, graduated from seminary, later on while I was in the D.C. area, I got involved in working on PhD studies in ancient Greek theology. So I discovered the ancient fathers mm-hmm. and because uh, I dabbled in them and heard of them, read pieces or parts. But then I really got into the ancient fathers and it really, uh, it was just so cool to me, man. So this morning I'm reading a book by Tom Winaday, who's a Catholic scholar about, uh, you know, the person of Jesus in the Arian controversy and in the Nicene faith and all that. So uh, a book along those lines, let's say a Robert Wilkin Yep. you know something by Robert wilkin or uh um, you know something along those lines I would love
0: so your your best day off would be to sit there and just dive in and think and and meditate on some very deep Christian history and roots of the church and the fathers and yeah a cup yeah. of coffee and just enjoy yeah. and that.
1: and i like some of the some of the modern more philosophical like yep. thinkers too I really like a a a c s lewis or yeah. a uh even a Chuck Colson in the oh, yeah. day who mm-hmm. was addressing, like, political issues yep. but brought some history and philosophy behind him. So how now shall we live? Yeah. Uh, that, you know, beautiful stuff. Yeah, His book, The Body, I love wonderful. that. You read
0: that years ago. And uh, so I have it in my office, and it's just one of those books that means yeah. a lot to me as I read it, and it impacted me greatly. Well, that's awesome. Here, here's a great question. Uh, I think it's great. Obviously, I'm asking it. What is true about you, but a lot of times, uh, a lot of people would have a hard time believing it?
1: Oh, wow. Um, maybe that I lack confidence. Okay. Yeah. Uh, every time I speak, um, I still, I'm in very involved in music. We I've been playing guitar since I've been 10. My yeah. wife's a tremendous musician. So we still dabble in it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people ask, would you sing a song or something? And man, I feel like, oh, my word. Um, you know, I, and people might be surprised about that, but I,
0: I think they would be. I think a lot of um, people assume that, you know, anytime a pastor stands on a stage and brings a message where well, he probably never struggles with stage fright or being in front of people or nervousness. I had someone ask me a while back, do you ever do you ever feel nervous before you speak? And I say, is there a time I don't feel nervous before I speak? Right. You know? OK, so It'd you're be- more shy, more introverted than people would probably uh, Think. yeah
1: i think so i think so i was with somebody the other day and they said well that's you're in you're an extrovert obviously yeah. hans and you know well yeah i thought okay you don't really know me yeah yeah
0: yeah uh here, here's one since, since we're in the christmas season and i was working on our christmas eve message uh recently um while you were growing up what is one of your most fond memories of christmas
1: wow that's great um of course, I didn't grow up in church, right. you know, by the time I had this conversion experience that at 16, I'd only been to church twice in my life. So uh, nothing was associated with church to Christmas. But nonetheless, I had an amazing mom and dad. Hmm. They were amazing. They raised us and I have a brother and we were just, it was just a great family. And so Christmas was always family, man. It was always family. And so we would have our little time together and then we would always go to my dad's family my grandparents on my dad's side and there was a huge family all the kids coming in there were I think 20 grandkids and we all came together and uh, that's still what it's about so I've lived away from home uh, for the last twenty five years, basically, but we always drive home. Yeah, there's only been a couple Christmases I've missed in twenty five years, and we drive. It's like an eight to nine hour drive for me now, but we still do it. We have it planned. You know, my girls are coming home from college, and we we have it planned because it's uh, this is what it's about. You know, I was just with the, the Jewish guides over mm-hmm. in Israel that that led us through this Israel trip, and uh, I almost I almost developed kind of a jealousy of this guy's experience with family hmm. because he talked about the Jewish culture and how Hanukkah or, uh, or even Shabbat and how it was family yeah. Friday evening Shabbat, they close the shades, they light the candles, they say prayers, and all the family comes in and it was like, man, we've lost this somewhat in our society. And, uh, this guy that we were with, he, he was a very intellectual guy, graduated from Hebrew university, but moved, um, uh, From the city out in the country to a kibbutz so he could raise his kids in this communal setting and uh, let them grow up, you know, around nature and around other uh, community of people. So this is what Christmas is about, man. It's about being with family and, uh, you know. The, the making memories that'll yeah. never go away. Yeah.
0: So you go home each Christmas Yeah, back to Kentucky, mom uh, and dad. Well, I'm there. from
1: Virginia, okay. but right on the Kentucky line and right on the West Virginia line. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they live in Kentucky though? They live in Virginia. They live in Virginia. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. About five miles from the Kentucky state line. Got it. So they're looking forward to you coming home for Christmas. And, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Mom's been calling. We're trying to figure out coordinate all the details. <laughs> yeah. yeah, big Christmas meal or yeah. Christmas mom Eve. Will, my yeah, mom will do what? a Christmas Eve thing, but you know Christmas Eve is on Christmas this year, yeah. so this is gonna we'll um, probably do it after Christmas. So we're gonna stay Christmas here. Eve on Sunday. Christmas Eve. I'm sorry. Yeah. Christmas Eve. On I'll <laughs> say that would be yeah. an unusual yeah. Christmas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like doing it both Christmas? in one Christmas, day. Christmas
1: yeah. <laughs> is Christmas on Christmas Day, yeah. No, Christmas Eve is on Sunday. Because right. you know as a pastor right. everything right. revolves around yes, Sunday. Right. So we'll probably wait till that's that thing's over, obviously, and then trek back home somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's great.
0: <laughs> All right, one more question for you. Sure. Um speaking of eating and a meal, if if you could have a meal with anyone, past or present, whether they are currently living or Deceased, and you could sit down and just enjoy breaking bread with anyone. Uh, who would it be, and why?
1: Oh, okay, this is another like. Which? <laughs> what's your favorite child, I man? Know. I'm gonna throw out an obscure name: okay. Wolfhart Pannenberg. Okay, Wolfhart Pannenberg just died, I think, two years ago. He was a German theologian from Munich, a Lutheran theologian. Uh, I mean, an eminent scholar, beyond brilliant. But he kind of rescued um, European theology from, from just falling off the ledge into existentialism. Okay, so you have guys like Rudolf Bultmann mm-hmm. uh, who were pretty amazing scholars themselves, but they were, they, they, their whole project was to demythologize the Bible. Let's take the miracle stories out and let's, and let's just try to find the Jesus of faith. And what Ponenberg pa- brought to that was, hey guys, okay, understand, but history is important too. History is important too. So it is actually important that Jesus rose from the dead and that there were witnesses of that. It's actually important. I preached last Sunday about how history, uh, Luke was about describing, he, Luke was about anchoring the Christmas story into history. You know, as Tim Keller said, Luke didn't start off saying, once upon a time, right. or he didn't say long long ago in a galaxy far right. away you know, he said in the reign of caesar augustus there was a census and he anchors this to history because history is important and so ponenberg helps rescue us uh, rescue that whole venture and that's maybe obscure but it's just what no, first thing on my brain and obviously a translator in between yeah. I was, well, I'm, he would probably speak great English, That's but probably. I would be lost with the German. Yeah. Right. Hey, I went to Germany. Yeah. In October. That's right. This I year.
0: saw a uh, picture of you because I think some of the, um, some of our the uh, leaders in, within
1: the Church of God, I think right. were there too. And yeah, they obviously had, had
0: some the, pH leaders. Yeah. And Tim. Like uh,
1: Tim Hill. Tim Hill was there. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just this it was a last minute thing and I had an opportunity. I'd never been to Germany, but we went to celebrate the five hundredth anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. What's considered the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And I'm sure you had a wonderful time? I had an awesome time, man. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I took my dad. Oh. Our last name's Hess. He named me Hans because of the whole German thing. So our first time in Germany and it was a it was a great time, you know.
0: Yeah. That's great. Well, listen, if there are some folks out who are listening to this and want to find out more about you, follow you, uh, ask you some questions, um, what's uh, what's the best way to get up with you? Well, you know, our just web- call the
1: church or website or what? Yeah, our website is folchurch.com. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, and, yes. Email? What's okay. your email? Yeah. Um, it would uh, I can be emailed through the church. Okay, I they think can find it on the website. Yeah, I have an I have an, uh, a secretary that the email is routed through at the church, which that's the best way to get hold of me. Right. Yeah. Great. Well, Hans, absolutely. thank you. I enjoyed hey Scott, this thank conversation, you, man, and God bless you guys yep. in what's happening here at Forest Park. Thank you, and that we're able to team together to absolutely to reach the gospel. That's right. As we well, know, we we've always you know I, I'm not really intimately familiar with you and your staff, but we've always felt at Fountain of Life, you guys were on one front and we're on another front, but we're all winning the same battle and fighting the same battles. Well,
0: thank you for coming in and being a part of this.
1: And I'm hopeful that this will uh, cause some other
0: people to get to know you a little bit better and check out uh, your church website and follow you guys on Facebook as well and see what God is doing through you and reaching the people because there's a lot of people in our community who still uh, do not follow Christ that's right. and they're not connected to a church and we can both continue to reach a lot of people Amen. and that's what we want to see happen so thank you man no thank you sir all right take care
1: you've been listening to the imperfect leader podcast with Scott Neal join us next time as we continue learning what it means to be an imperfect leader you don't have to be perfect to be an effective leader but you do have to be teachable read great books ask great questions Hang around great people and you're on your way to becoming a great leader. Thank you for listening.